Well, as we continue in our series, the whole story, what an incredible time of worship we've already had today. I kind of just want to pray and go home. That was good. Um, I don't want to ruin it. So uh, if you would, turn with me to Deuteronomy 17. That's where we're going to be this morning um, for a bit. Deuteronomy 17, and then we'll um, get into um, the Kings today. Um, before we get into the message, I wanted to give you an update. So last week, we, um, we told you about a financial need that we had, and that the offerings were a bit behind um, from where they were last year and, uh, and then behind budget. And so if you weren't here on Sunday out at the welcome desk, there's the insert we had last week. Make sure you go by and pick that up if you want to see it. Um, <clears throat> so our, our budget total that we want to get to every week in offerings is $38,000. And so um, we made a challenge that we wanted to reach 150K by May 20th. And we're going to have a special offering on May 20th to kind of make up above offering. And so last week, good news, we <clears throat> had a, a total offering of $84,000 um, last week. Um, praise God. Um, so I don't know if you heard that. That was $84,000. That was like tr- like three times what our offerings have been. And uh, so that puts us $45,644.73. We're very specific on this slide. That's 30.4% of our goal. So we're the third of the way of getting to that 150000 So this is the big celebration for me. For me, the big celebration is last week some people heard from God. And he told them to give. And they responded in obedience and gave. And to me, I think, this is the win of giving, is when God speaks to us and gives us dollar amounts and we say, God, that seems like a lot, or that seems hard, and we give. And so what the challenge was last week was simply this, give faithfully and give sacrificially, and whichever of those God's speaking to you about, just do what he says. And I believe if we all do what he says, we're all gonna be good. So praise God for what he's done. Um, what he is doing here at North Canton and excited to see um, all that's ahead um, this weekend uh, and especially May 20th to see how he comes through. So Deuteronomy 17 is where we'll be at this morning. Uh, Deuteronomy 17, now we're in the whole story um, continuing through. And so a little recap, whole story, it goes like this. Hopefully you'll be able to say it by the end of it. Creation, God creates all things. Patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Exodus, Moses takes the people out of, God takes the people through Moses out of, um, out of captivity, across the Red Sea, into their wanderings. And at the end of Moses' life, he dies and then rises up. Joshua and they, con- they have conquest and they take lands and tribes that God had promised them. Then last week we talked about judges. The judges are established. There's a sin cycle amongst the judges and how it worked with the judges was simply this, that the people of God rebelled against God and they um, were taken over and then they cried out to God and then God raised up a judge and then God gave him peace and then the judge died and then the cycle just happened over and over and over again. And so Just real quick again, creation, patriarchs, exodus, conquest, judges, now kings. Now kings are established, and so so in this, and kind of to set up our time together, and Deuteronomy 17 is going to give in the law what it meant to be a king. And if the people of Israel wanted a king, this is how the king must go about business. And so that's what we're going to read in just a second. Now, I don't know about you, but this has been a really long winter, Right? A really long winter. Um, we, we had to, I had to like lock down a vacation for the summer because I think my, my wife was just going to leave Northeast Ohio. 
um, this winter. And so it's been a long winter, but life is kind of like that. Maybe some of you in the seasons of life, if, if we have seasons of life and, and we kind of articulate them like summer, fall, winter, spring. For some of you, I know for me, there's been seasons where the winter just seems really long. And you're kind of longing for springtime, that life will come and new life will come and, and there'll be a season of peace and rest and warmth. Now, I believe in the kings, what, one of the things that we see is we have the privilege of seeing the span of three kings that we'll look at this morning, the span of their life. And we'll see the seasons of their life. We'll see seasons of faithfulness. We'll see seasons of great disobedience. We'll see seasons of repentance. We'll see seasons, and, and then as we look at all their seasons of life, we can make some assessments. And in those assessments, we can kind of say, these are the lessons we learn from these kings of how they obeyed, they disobeyed God, how they rebelled against God, how they were faithful to God, how they loved God, how they pursued God. When you say that all of us in this room, it's a bit of a scary thing. What if there was a book written about us? In all the seasons of our life, all the inner thoughts, all the actions were laid bare on the table. Did, did anybody just get like scared inside? Like that sounds like the worst book ever. If, if it was all laid bare, what, what would be true of us? So the word of God is, is amazing in this way. Is the truths of God are revealed through men. And the truths about who God is and how he acts and his law and keeping it and faithfulness, it's seen. And so we see the span of these lives. So seasons will come and go, right? But, but in all seasons, God is asking us, whether it's winter, whether it's spring, whether it's summer, whether it's fall, to be faithful. And I'll just tell you, my takeaway, one of my takeaways from being in kind of all the kings this week has been this. That it seems to me like in winter, some are really unfaithful. But it seems like summertime is actually where there's the most unfaithfulness. Not at war, but when life is all good and everything's happening and nothing needs to be done. It seems like people grow really lax in faithfulness. And we see this with the king. So let's stand together in honor and reverence of reading God's word. Let's read Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20. Which reads, again, this is the law written by Moses, that this was going to happen someday, and so this is what a king should be about. So when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, and you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. Just so you know, God knows what's coming. He speaks clearly to what they're going to do. So, one from among you, one from among your brothers, and you shall set his king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And she not, he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. So the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Approved by the Levitical priests. 
and it shall be with him, and he shall read it, read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Father, would you illuminate your word to us today? Lord, would you teach us in greater ways what it means to be faithful to you, to love you, to cherish you in all seasons of life, that you might be honored by us, your people. Father, be with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning, as we look at this text, uh, just first things first, the, the wisdom of God is displayed, just the wisdom of God is displayed through his word. Say that again. The wisdom of God is displayed through his word. Knowing, loving, and obeying the word of God protects God's kings and God's people from willful disobedience. So say that again. The wisdom of God is displayed through his word. Knowing, loving, and obeying the word of God protects God's kings and God's people from willful disobedience. So knowing, right? Knowing, <clears throat> knowing God's word. This is, is, is seriously re- seeking the revelation of God with our lives. Loving, desiring it in our lives, obeying it, taking action upon it. And so God's word reveals a specific commandment to these kings, Just list them out to you. There's six commandments he makes in Deuteronomy 17. First is not a foreigner. He must be among the brothers, must be an Israelite. Can't return to Egypt for army, horses, chariots. Can't go back, army, horse, chariots. This isn't what it's about, right? Don't don't gain these things. Not have many wives, not amass great wealth, gold and silver. Committed to God's word, to being a biblically literate person knowing who God is and how he's acted in history, carrying it with him, meditating on it day and night. And he must be committed to remaining a humble leader, not rising above, but consistent in humility. And so where we see the king, so what we're going to look at is Saul, David, and Solomon. So Saul, David, and Solomon. Now, if you've studied any of these men, they're a bit complex characters, especially the, well, all of them are, but especially Saul and Solomon are very complex characters in scripture. And so where we find this is First and Second Samuel, and then First Chronicles and Second Chronicles 1 through 9, First Kings 1 through 11, and Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. So this is where these kings and their writings are going to be found. So the, the storyline of where we find ourselves, so there's a last judge and prophet that we didn't speak about last week, and his name is Samuel. Now Samuel is this incredible prophet of God who was faithful all of his life. His mother is Hannah, Eli's son, and all his days he served God. He did not defraud the people. He was a holy man consecrated to God. Even at one point toward the end of his life, he asked the people, he said, have I defrauded you in any way? Please tell me. In this moment of of Samuel was this, I I want to live upright before the Lord. If there's any way that I haven't, please reveal it to me. Bit of a scary thing, isn't it? Gather your friends and family around and say, if I've defrauded any of you, please tell me. Do that at Thanksgiving next year. See what happens, right? This, the airing of grievances at the table. And so 
Um, so all his days, right, he served the Lord. He didn't defraud his people. He was a holy man, consecrated to God. In his day, the people of Israel, they again found themselves in trouble. And although he was a great prophet, and although he was a man of the law, and he was a man who led the people, they found themselves in trouble. And this is where the people began to cry out, and they wanted a king. And so the people cried out, and they, they wanted a king. And so it says this in, in 1 Samuel 10, verse 19. Here, just listen with me. It won't be on the screens. It says, but today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and all your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. And so God, in this moment of their crying out, says, go for it. You can have a king. Again, you aren't letting me be your king. And so now someone must rise up to lead you. So the first thing that we see in the person of Saul was that he was the king people wanted. The king people wanted. So if you're following with me, you can fill in. So the king people wanted Saul. Now, Saul was handsome. He was of wealth. He came from money. He was tall. It even spoke about how broad his shoulders were, that he was impressive, that there was not a more beautiful man in all of Israel, which doesn't sound that impressive the way I just said that. And so so there's a, there's a note in this of what people want and what God wants, and there's a differentiation in kings. See, man sees the outside, God looks at the heart, and the people of Israel saw the outside and said, that's the kind of man we want, and Saul was the king people wanted. So what we also see is that, that in this, the people are given over, Saul is anointed by Samuel as king, so Saul, in his wickedness, was used by God. And so another truth about God in this is that wicked people are used by God for his divine purposes. So Saul did not know God's word. He didn't apply it. He didn't live by it. And we see this, that even at one point, Samuel hadn't showed up to the party soon enough. And so Saul just says, I'll offer the sacrifice. And Samuel shows up and kind of screams, what are you doing? How have you done this? You have consecrated, desecrated one of the most sacred things in God's law. Saul's rebellion led him to torment. David, the son of Jesse, is going to come into his presence and he's going to become his armor bearer in his life and his personal musician. He's like, a, like my Micah, right? Like this... He sings me songs, makes me happy, right? So, so in this, 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 that was weird. And so, um, so, so we know some of these stories, right? These profound stories. We're going to talk more about it with David, but he comes David and Goliath, right? David and Goliath, and David will take out Goliath, and the people will sing, right? And they sing this, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands, and when people sing this message, Saul is going to become demented. I mean, he's going to come to this place of where he's tortured, that they love David more than him. And in this, he's going to begin to pursue killing David for 13 years. And he'll even do it with his own daughter. He gives Michael over to, her, to him. And Saul was paranoid, right, of his popularity. He wanted him gone, dead and would spend, again, 13 years trying to kill him. So what happens with Saul is Saul, at the end of his life, he's fighting. He's fighting alone without God. At this point, his 
tormented soul has come to a place where God has departed from him because of his disobedience. Saul fights alone and dies by his own sword after being wounded. So Saul, the lessons we learn, is Saul refused to humble himself, to be led by God's word. He misused power and his emotions ruled his life. So say it again about Paul. Saul refused to humble himself. He refused to be led by God's word. He misused power and his emotions ruled his life. See, when we live in disobedience to God, we will suffer and so will all those around us. When we refuse to humble ourselves, when we refuse to be led in obedience to God's word, when we misuse power in our lives, and when we allow our emotions to rule our lives. It's the second king, the shepherd king, David. The shepherd king, David. So in 2 Samuel, we see David, right? He has this, David has a rise, and he's living, again, much of his life alongside of Saul before Saul passes away. David's rise was he was the youngest of seven boys, his poor mother, right? He was a shepherd, but don't think of like this docile shepherd. He, I just love some of these things about David. He killed lions and bears. Like this is, oh my, right? Like this is incredible about David is he literally like protected sheep by killing the wild animals around him. David doesn't look like a king, short in stature. He was a shepherd. He was cast aside. He didn't come from the same lineage or line of just human standing as Saul did. But he was anointed by Samuel to be king before Goliath, before all these things. He was anointed in this way. See, God's plans are not typically fulfilled in the snap of a finger, but are realized in time. And we see this with David's life, that he was anointed to be king, but it didn't come to realization for years and years to come. See, God's plans are not typically fulfilled in the snap of the finger, but are realized in time. And patience and faithfulness, they shape us for these greater things he's anointed us for in life. So David becomes an armor bearer for Saul. And in this also, David takes out Goliath. This young boy goes down to the Philistine, the man that no one else could take out. And David, with a slingshot, every, if you've been in a Sunday school class, this is like the lesson. He takes his slingshot, he whips it around, he throws a stone, he kills Goliath, everyone cheers, and then they sing the praises of David. Saul killed thousands, David killed ten thousands. So David then goes on the run for 13 years, and what's significant about his 13 years of running from Saul was, is that he had multiple opportunities to kill the man that was trying to kill him. Even at one moment in time, David was in a cave, and while he was sitting in that cave, Saul was right before him. And all the men that were with David were like, this is it. Now's your chance. And he said, the Lord's anointed is not for me to take out. And David cut a little bit of his robe off just for proof. He was there. He could have done it. And later it would have great impact. So Saul, Saul dies. David becomes king. David then leads Israel successful in many battles. He's a warrior. Prepares for the temple to be built um, for God. He couldn't build the temple. Right? because he was a warrior. So God says, your son is going to do this. You prepare the temple to be built. 
So now David had some issues, right? And some of the issues that David faced were, one, um, the Philistines had got the Ark of Covenant, and David wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant back so that it could be in the temple when the temple was erected. And so they got the Ark back, and David, what he did is instead of following the law of God, he put the Ark in an ox cart just like the Philistines had done. And in this, again, David's disobedience to the law and the word of God causes people harm and even death which is actually a principle. We hurt people when we don't follow the law of God. And so David, he, he then puts it in the house for three months and he brings it in to town. And this is this moment where David brings the ark into town. The people of Israel have the ark back. David is excited. He's obeyed God. The presence of God is with him. Becomes, he, he, be, he begins to dance in the streets. Right, he becomes, he, he's dancing in the streets and prays to what God has done. And his wife, Michael, she looks down at him and she is disgusted at how he is being, how he is acting, because he's acting like a fool. And she confronts him on it. And he says, you haven't seen anything yet. I will become more undignified. That's the word. I will become more undignified than this because of what my God has done. Now, just so you know, a little principle, we need to get a little more undignified in praising our Lord, right? We need to get a little more excited about what God has done, that his presence doesn't, doesn't dwell in arcs anymore, but his presence dwells in us. This is a fairly exciting thing, right? That the grave no longer holds me, death no longer has me, that I have a God, I have a king that died for me, his presence lives in me, and I could get a little more undignified about this, could get a little bit more excited about this instead of just going... Praise, praise God, right? Amen, right? This is an incredible thing. All right, I don't, that wasn't in my notes. So, um, so, so what we see with David is he leads, he, he leads successful in many battles, right? He, he does these things, but again, he has his issues. <clears throat> and so other things that we see about David, and this is the one that maybe he's most known for, is David, all the kingdom is out at war, and David stays home. And David had typically been a man of battle and would have typically been with the men, but he wasn't. He stayed home, and he was on his rooftop, and he saw a lady named Bathsheba, and he had a desire for that lady. And in that moment, right, he, he acted upon that desire. And in acting upon that desire, right, he, they were gonna have a baby together. And in acting upon that, Right? He didn't know what to do, and so he invited Uriah, her husband, to come back from war. But he was a noble man, and he wouldn't come back into the kingdom. He wouldn't come back in because all the other men were out, and so he slept outside the gates. As he slept outside the gates, he didn't know what to do. David was going to be defamed. He'd done a terrible thing, and so he conspired with others, and he had Uriah killed on the battlefield. So this is this kind of moment where, like, hmm, David is a terrible person. Right? I mean, this is this terrible instance in his life of something that he did um, that has a terrible instance in his life. But, but here's the heart of David. Psalm 51 is this moment where David realized what he had done. He realized how he had defamed God. He realized what he'd done, and he cries out to God in this way. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is 
evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors, transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from the blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and open my mouth. I will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. This moment, David is greatly broken and he repents before God. And God brings forgiveness into David's life. Now out of David and Bathsheba will come a man that will be born, his name is Solomon, who will be in the bloodline of Jesus, which is this other incredible thing about our God is that he proves to us, even in his own lineage, that the broken and the hurting and those that are the most unlikely can be a part of my kingdom. So in this, we see that David, again, he leads his people in successful battles. He prepares the temple to be, to be built for God. He appoints Solomon to reign. What we see is that David was not a perfect man, but he turned to God throughout his life in faithfulness and trust, even in his unfaithfulness, would turn to God in great grief and repentance and find restoration, yet suffer the consequences in many ways throughout his life. Then comes his son, Solomon. Solomon, so the last united king, Solomon. The last united king, Solomon. So in the last united king, um, he is the son of David and Bathsheba. Solomon is going to write three books of the Bible, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, and much of Proverbs. It's thought, not necessarily known, that when he was young, he wrote Song of Solomon. When he was middle-aged, he wrote Proverbs. And as he was dying in his old age, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He reigned for 40 years. And what we see about Solomon is early Early in his life, he sought after God and requested wisdom from God and received it and much wealth. The kingdom was relatively at peace throughout his reign and his kingdom was shockingly ordered well and his wisdom was legendary and still is to this day. Through Solomon, we learn there's, he kind of gives the Proverbs, right? These axioms of life, this wisdom, these truisms that live. It's like Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen truth whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy right these truths in life i've seen it play out over and over in my own life and in the life of others whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper have you ever had that moment in your life where you think i'm just not going to tell everyone and we're just going to forget about it and hope it all goes away that's a wonderful thought, 
But it's not real. You can't forget about it. And it doesn't just go away. And it festers and it grows and it compounds and it festers and it grows and it compounds. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. We don't obtain mercy in hiding. We find mercy in confessing. We find life in confessing. And, and through Solomon's life, he'll have all these kind of axioms, these kind of truths that are just true. I don't care who you are, where you live, they're true. God's word is true. And in these, this book of Proverbs, there's, there are truths. And so I know some people that do this. They read one proverb a day and they've been doing it their whole life. It's basically a month's worth and just read them, apply them to your life. It's a book of wisdom. So what we see with, <clears throat> so what we see with Solomon is he, he did, he built the temple according to David's instructions, but he had many wives, 700 wives, 300 concubines, that sounds like a nightmare, and uh, led into public idolatry by foreigners, right? And so at the end of his life, he started well, but as Solomon began to end his life and went toward the end of his life, again, he had many wives. He was led into public idolatry by foreigners and he had departed from God. 1 Kings 11, 9, and 10 says this, and the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and it commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Solomon started well, yet he finished poorly. The kingdom was about to become divided due to Solomon's lack of faithfulness as he came to the close of his life. So what do we learn from Solomon? Well, we learn that when we seek God, he can be found because Solomon did early in his life. He sought after God and he found God and he requested from God. And so another thing we can learn is God will equip us to accomplish the tasks he has for us. He asked for wisdom because he knew that's what he needed to fulfill his duties and God gave him wisdom. We also learn that life is a marathon, not a sprint. Today, the the half the the Hall of Fame marathons happen. Anybody, anybody in this room ran a half marathon, a marathon, a 5K? Raise your hand. Anybody show off once, right? So I I, I used to um, used to I ran a marathon and I ran a half marathon. The scariest thing at the beginning of a race is that you would start out too fast. I remember one time I started out. I wanted to run, run about nine. 30. That was like my pace for the whole race. That's what I wanted to run. And I got done, right? I got done with the first mile and I ran it in seven minutes and 30 seconds. And I was like, I'm done. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to die. Like I'm not going to be able to finish this race. It was this moment I, I thought it was over. And I, I think with Solomon, what happened is he started the race well. But Solomon's issue is toward the end of his life, he didn't. Life is a marathon. And there's never a moment in life where you get to stop running where you get to stop pursuing. Because the second you stop running, the second you hang the cleats up, is the second you become disobedient to God. And God looks at all of our life, not just the ending, not just the beginning, the whole thing. So whether you're starting or whether you're finishing, guess what? God's asking all of us the same thing, simply this, to be faithful to him every moment, every second, every day of our life. We learn from Solomon that he didn't do this. And how did he do this? There's another lesson. Those close to us will affect us. 
Solomon began to surround himself with, the, the, with, with people from different lands, with their gods, with their people, and they greatly affected him and turned his eyes from God to their gods where he then would publicly worship their God. And the word publicly worship their God is important because it wasn't even a secret thing for him because he'd gone that far from God. And maybe the last thing that we can learn from Solomon, many more, one of the last things that we can learn from Solomon is that life apart from God is pointless. He writes this at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God, keep his commandments for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So, We learn from Solomon to seek God, to trust God, to never stop running faithfully in any season. We learn to place people around us that help us love God and cherish him above all things. And we learn to live connected to the Father. If we live disconnected, we will disobey him and suffer the repercussions, not only us, but those around us. So in all of this, what do we see? In all seasons, what do we learn from these kings? Well, we learn three things. One, we learn that we ought to know God's word. We ought to love God's word. And last, we must obey God's word. Love God's word, know God's word, love God's word, and obey God's word. Committing our lives to know God's word. Every king... In the instance of their disobedience, what had they forgotten? They'd forgotten God's word. They had forgotten how he'd instructed, how he had called them. Deuteronomy 17, they, when they departed from that, people suffered and people died, right? And that's an actual thing. <laughs> people suffered and people died when the kings disobeyed God. And I will say this, when we don't know God's word, or maybe we do know it, yet don't act upon it. When we don't know it, we can't obey God. His, reve- his revelation, his instruction is revealed to us in his word. But it's not just knowing it, right? David knew it, but there came seasons in his life where he didn't love God's word, right? He didn't love God's word, and he replaced God, a love for God's word for a love for himself and his own desires, and he chased after his own desires. Have you ever chased after your own desires in life? Raise your hand. Anybody? All right. Liars. Okay. And so, right, we, we've chased after our own desires in life. We've all done this. But what this text teaches, the kings teach us, scripture teaches us that we ought to not just know God's word, but love it. And at the inside of love is desire. When I truly love something, I desire it. Great question to ask yourself is what do you desire in life? To love God's word, to know God's word, to love God's word. And again, it's not enough just to know and to love, but we must obey God's word. We must act upon that which he has said, that which he has spoken, not living in rebellion, not living in willful disobedience, but living in obedience to what God has said. 
In all seasons, we must make this our utmost concern, and that is to know God's word, to love God's word, and to obey God's word. And in every season of life, whether it's summer, fall, winter, or spring, we can love and cherish and obey God through this. But what's the big idea? Well, I think there's a bigger story in this, and the bigger story is, see, this is the line in which we're reading in which our Savior, Jesus, is going to come from. And in this, what we know about the kings is all of these kings were faulty. They were all failures in some sense because they were not the true king. There was a promised king. There was one to come, and his name is Jesus. See, Jesus is the better king. He is the wise one. He is the warrior shepherd. He is the one who is humble. See, David, although he was a warrior shepherd, is nothing compared to Jesus, the warrior and the shepherd the one who will heal us and come alongside us and minister to us. Jesus is the true king. Jesus is the true shepherd. Jesus is the true warrior, the true warrior that took these mountains that were going to defeat us, sin, hell, and death, and he took them upon himself for us. Jesus is the true warrior. Jesus is the one who is truly wise. As he ministered on earth, everyone said, who is this man and what wisdom does he speak from? The wisdom of Jesus far outcompares the wisdom of Solomon. Jesus is the true king. Jesus, right, he was not a foreigner. He's of God. God himself stepped down. Jesus said, don't, don't build up an army of horses and chariots. That he did not. Jesus had an army of hosts in heaven. He said, don't have many wives. Well, we are his bride and he has one bride and that is his people for all time and eternity. He says, don't amass great wealth of gold and silver. See, gold and silver are so invaluable in heaven, they just, they use it as concrete on streets. Seriously. What's valuable, truly valuable, is he is rich in mercy and he is rich in grace. And these he gives out to people like David and like you and me. Jesus didn't have to be committed to God's word because he was God's word. It was inerrant. It was who he was. He was the living word come flesh. And then it says that a king must remain a humble leader. We read it this morning. He humbled himself, stepped down, and even humbled himself to death on a cross. God loved us so much that he didn't even spare his own son. Might we come under the true king? Might we know his word? Might we love his word? And might we obey his word in our lives? See, these kings, they all pale in comparison to the one true king who came and died for us. And because he came and died for us, we now have sonship. We have the ability to be the sons and daughters of God. A few weeks ago, my daughter, Addie, said, Dad, I, I wish we could see you more on Sunday mornings. And I said, oh, baby, I, I wish I could see you more too. And I usually come here fairly early. And I said, but let me tell you this. If you ever want to see Daddy, you can come see him, Right? You can walk up on that, this stage and you can stand beside me if you want to be close to me. I don't care what you, you got complete access to me wherever you want. See, that's not true of Brandon's kids. Like, <laughs> they're not coming up here, right? 
because they don't have access to me like that because I got, a, I got a daughter and her name's Addie and whatever's mine is hers. Church, hear me on this. We have, we have a father in heaven who loved us so much that he gave his only son for us and he's saying, come up on the stage with me. I'm, you're my child. I love you. We have a king. We have a shepherd. We have a warrior. We have one full of wisdom. Might we worship him with all of our lives as we know his word, as we love his word, and as we obey it. Why? Because how can we not with a love like he's, like, like, how can we not when he's loved us like he has? Let's pray together. Father, this morning, help us respond well and praising you and worshiping you for what you have done. You, Jesus, are the true king above all kings. You pale in comparison to anyone who has ever been. You are unrivaled. Jesus, we do believe that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess you as Lord, you as king. And we just choose to do that this morning and we worship you because we no longer are held to the sin to the bondage we once were, but through your death, through your burial, through your resurrection, we have been set, through, set free because you, Jesus, are the king of kings and you've defeated, you've defeated that which we could never defeat in our own, sin, hell, and death. So we thank you today that through you we are free that through you, we are your sons and daughters. Help us to respond, whether it's in repentance, whether it's in obedience, whether it's in the both. Help us to respond to you today, Jesus, we ask in your name, amen. If you will, let's stand together as we sing. And maybe as we sing, these altars are open for you to kneel and pray or right where you are. But let's respond to the Lord this morning.